0: Well, thank you, team and church family. Good to be with you. It's good to have our old missionaries, Mike and Ellen Dwarak, here visiting with us from Colorado Springs. Mike used to, uh... Mike led worship here for a time, and then they went off to the Czech Republic, and now God has them uh, serving him in Colorado. It's a tough call. When God calls you to Colorado Springs. Yeah. All right. Our summer series brings us today to an important aspect of faith in Christianity, and one that I think many, many Christians fail to connect their faith with their practice in this category of uh, Christianity. And it's an important uh, area because it impacts so many other areas. What you think about this will shape your perspective on a whole lot of other matters like uh, abortion, sexuality, euthanasia, cremation, medicine, pornography, anorexia, celibacy, vegetarianism, cutting, racism based on skin color, health, beauty, fitness, martyrdom, I wrote here hair plugs, and I'm not sure if that's how good that is, but that's true. And even tattoos. What you think about the body and what you think the biblical call is for the Christian with his or her body will impact the way that you treat your body and the perspective you have on your body in so many other ways. And, the, you know, the reality is all of us have one. I mean, if you do not have a body today, would you please raise your hand? All right, apparently this is a very relevant message for all of us. We all have a body here. We all live every day in a body. And the message today is, uh, a, basically it's a Christian worldview. It's a, more of a biblical theology than an exposition today. Uh, a, a Christian worldview, a Christian theology of the body, and why your body matters to God. Now, just to get into this a little bit, I want to begin in just the the beginning of the Bible. If you just started reading the Bible and and you were trying to develop a theology of the body, you would uh, right away run into some really important truths about the body. For example, the body, our body, human bodies, are made from the dust of the ground. Genesis 2-7. We find that our bodies are sexual by God's design. Male and female, he created them. We see that our body is a part of our image-bearing of God. He didn't make us uh, spirits or just souls. He made us with a body. This is part of his design. God delighted in our bodies. We see in Genesis 1.31, and this is a key truth, we'll get to it again here a little bit, that God stepped back from his creation and he looked at the galaxies and he looked at the atoms and he looked at the oceans and he looked at the land and he looked at the flowers and he looked at the bees and he looked at the animals and he looked at the whole thing including Adam and Eve with a body and he said it is very good and then we see in Genesis 3 sadly that this body is a part of the curse that God Put upon Adam and Eve because of their sin, and we die. Our bodies die. Our soul is separated from our body in death because of sin. And that's just the first three chapters of Genesis. So there is there is a lot right there. If you begin to read the Bible through the grid of what God thinks about the human body, the body is called many things in, in the Bible. It's called a house. It's called a house of clay. It's called a jar of clay. It's called mortal flesh. And significantly for Christians, it is called the temple of the Holy Spirit, which we'll also get into in just a moment. But of all these things that we find in the Bible, there is one reality that that trumps all the rest of them. There's one that is the most important doctrinal, theological, biblical truth about the body. And it's this. It is the simple fact that Jesus had one, that Jesus had a body. Now, why is that important? Well, let's go back again in the story. Genesis 1.31. God steps back from creation, looks at everything that He's done, and it says this. He saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And so we got no problem at that part of the story of, of redemption, looking at it and saying, well, of course our bodies were good. Adam and Eve's bodies, they were perfect. And we can wonder what they looked like when they had this body with no decay and no curse. And And so there was an inherent goodness in the body that God himself declared. It was good that Adam and Eve had a body. This means that God likes our bodies. He likes everything about our bodies. He likes what he did when he put it together and the way that he designed it. He likes everything about our body down to our plumbing. And even those things that we find somewhat disgusting about our bodies, God is not embarrassed by them. He doesn't look at them and go, Oh, okay. He loves it. He declared that it is very good. Well, then in the story, Adam and Eve sin against God, and our bodies are cursed now uh, with death and with decay and all the things that aging and all the rest means. And so we can look at that and we could say, you know what? Apparently having a body isn't so good anymore. Apparently, the body is bad, and we could fall into a kind of, uh, that Gnosticism that we've talked about, that, that sort of the body is bad, the soul is good, which many pagan religions, that was basically the way that they approached it. We could fall into that, except we have in the story that Jesus then comes, and he comes in a body. A human body. A body like yours, a body like mine. Wait a second. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is righteous and holy. He's, he, he is majestic and glorious. Certainly he wouldn't slum down and become a human and actually take on one of these sicko bodies, would he? And yet that is exactly what he did. Genesis 1.14, the word became flesh. And so we see in the incarnation of Jesus that the human body retains an inherent goodness about it. That there is a dignity and there is a value, so much so that the glorious second person of the Trinity had no contradiction in his character to come down and to take on human flesh. It's not bad. We could think to ourselves, well, Jesus he's, he was too, too holy to Sleep and eat digest food feel pain and all the other things that our bodies do right? He's too godly, too holy for that no, he's not God said the body, it's very good and so in God's plan of redemption the miracle is not that Jesus became a Man, it is how that happened through the virgin birth and all the rest, that miracle of how he became one of us. But the fact that he became a human and got, in God, within the Trinity, there was, there was not a, oh, like, you know, ew. <laughs> Did you get that? It's not like Jesus before the incarnation was like, ah, oh, just, I'm going to be all dirty. No. Why? Because our bodies are good. They have an inherent goodness about them. In fact, we see in the story of redemption, it is the bodily resurrection of Jesus that is a core doctrine of Christianity. He didn't just sort of appear to be alive. His body was brought back to life so that on the other side of the resurrection, he says to his disciples in Luke 24, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Not only did Jesus become a human in order to save us, he will always be a human for the rest of eternity. He dwells within a body. Which is a really cool thing to think that someday perhaps we will have the infinite privilege of touching him. What's that going to be like? So, There is so much to say here, and I compared last night. I compared my message uh, to this is like a family of seven uh, packing for a three-week vacation in a Chevette. That's what this message is like, uh, because there is so much to say. But the, the main thing that I wanna I wanna get here is that your body, our bodies, have an inherent dignity. They have an inherent goodness. There is there is value to our bodies, and we see that in the incarnation of Jesus. Which means, therefore, that when it comes To a Christian's perspective of my body, it is not simply a plaything. This is not just a disposable whatever that I can just sort of use in whatever way that I want to. It's 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 it it's valuable in the eyes of God, it is important. So much so that we look at, for example, in, in, in abortion, we see that, that that child that is in the womb is not simply a piece of tissue. It's just tissue. No, there's an inherent goodness and value even to the body of that fetus. And we look at the body and some of the things that we had at the beginning of the service, so much like amazing things that we see in this body. I mean, it's an amazing, it's amazing to have a human body. Don't you think? Did you think that this morning? Did you get up and look in the mirror and go, whoa, (laughs) we should, I mean, you really think about all the things that are going on in this body, it is a marvel so much so that scientists and doctors and medicine people, they're still, they're staggered when they discover things in the body. I'll give you one example. I've told you this story many times, but I have a friend who is at the IU Med Center in Indianapolis. He is the professor of the kidney. It's all he does is the kidney. Ivy League PhD on the kidney, writes for the journals and has taught the kidney at IU Med School for years now. All, just the kidney. And I was out with him and he was, he was trying to explain to me how the kidney works. And he's like, well, it's like coffee filters. And if you can imagine this and process that, and this is kind of how it goes. But he gets to the whole, the end of the whole thing and he says, but you know what? In reality, we haven't even begun to understand how the kidney works. And this is the guy that teaches the kidney at the IU med school. We don't even, we, it's just wow. And that's just the kidney. You move on to my eyes, which can take in uh, uh, a wavelength of, of, of light and process what I'm seeing to my brain so that in my mind I'm seeing actually this reality that is out here. I mean, just being able to see is an amazing thing. But my ear on top of that, which it's got this little thing that's flapping inside and the sound waves come and make it vibrate and it sends an electrical signal to my brain so that I am actually kind of hearing what is going on out here in a way that I can translate into sound and music and birds and language and what's going on right now, this is amazing, and I mean you could just pick a body part the hand look at the hand, watch what my hand can do <laughs> one at a time, all together this hand i can I can feel hot and cold i can I can uh, play an instrument, I can clap, I can shake hands, I can write, I can type on a computer this hand is just. It's amazing, isn't it? Just the human hand. There's enough in this hand for me to go, there's a God. Really. And that's just the hand. What about the foot and all the circulation and just all, I mean, the whole body. It is an engineering marvel. It is a wonder, it is a glory to have a human body. And that's one reason even death speaks to the value of the body because in death, my soul loses the body. And we see that as a great tragedy. The body is a very valuable thing. Jesus had a body. So what is a body? Okay, what is... If somebody comes to you, just give me a definition of the human body. Well, okay, let me give you one, all right? This is my definition of the human body. A God-created, sin-cursed, Christ-redeemed, physical place of personal presence in which I live as a steward by my care, purity, and lifestyle of worship until my death. Now there's a lot in there, let me say it again. And by the way, last night I gave an admonition, I'm going to give it here this morning. I'm going to say a whole lot of things that are going to be really helpful to you, and I want this to take root in our church. I would love to see more people taking notes. Because unless you're absolutely brilliant, I'm up here with notes myself, okay? When you walk out of here, I wonder how much of what I'm about to say are you actually going to get. If I was you, I would just have a notebook. It's my Bethel Church notebook. Come to the service, have my Bible, have my notebook, write down things that kind of prompt, take down the notes, and I can think about that later on and maybe meditate on it a little bit. It's a great way to listen to a sermon. Perhaps that should have been one of our messages this summer, how to listen to a sermon, okay? So I just want to say that. I'm not, I'm not looking right now who's right and who's not, but I want to encourage you to make the most, why did you come today? I hope you're here to get something. All right? To give something and praise to God and to receive a word from him. All right. Now, my aim in this message is that we would think Christianly about our bodies. Not think like the world encourages us to think about our bodies. Not to think selfishly about our bodies, but to think biblically and Christianly about our bodies. And I have two guiding passages here for us. Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, you would rightly say to me, well, it's got to mean more than our bodies because I'm giving my heart, I'm giving my passion, I'm giving my desires. Yes, that is indeed true. But it has to include our bodies because this is the place of personal presence. This is where, this is the context, my body is the context within which I am offering my life of worship to God. So it is a part of it, for sure. Here we have 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Now, we just got done studying 1 Corinthians. Do you remember? Hope so. Uh, and, and so we've studied this passage. But if you remember, what was going on in the city of Corinth was it was a city dedicated to sexual pleasure. It worshipped the goddess Aphrodite. The kids grew up and everybody, part of what you did is you just went up to the temple and you joined yourself with one of the prostitutes of the temple. And that was just a normal, it's like it's like going to McDonald's in Corinth. It was just a normal part of life. Well, then the gospel comes to the city of Corinth. And now you have a group of people who are claiming Jesus as their savior. And yet they have this sort of lifestyle thing and perspective on life, that they're, they're, some of them are just thinking, well, this is part of what it means to live in Corinth, and they're continuing to go up to the temple and to participate in that. And Paul's response to that is, listen, you've got to realize that, that there is a temple now and it, that you need to worship at, but it's not the temple of Aphrodite. Your body is the present, is the dwelling place of God. And therefore, you have a responsibility to honor and glorify God with your body. And his argument here is based upon the fact that you were bought with a price, which we'll get into a little bit more in a moment. In other words, my body is not my body anymore as a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian here, eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow you die. Go out and embrace hedonism. Go out and get everything you can, every pleasure that your body can take in. Go do it. But if you are a Christian here today, if you rightfully partook in the Lord's Supper and you actually do believe that Jesus, his body and his blood was shed for you, that means then that when you became you came uh, became a Christian, you gave over the title of your body. It's not my body anymore. It's not your body anymore. It's Christ's body. He bought it with the price of his own blood. And we'll get into more of that in a moment. Interestingly... Here you are at Bethel Church. You know what Bethel means? House of God. I could ask you this. I could say say that you're a Bethel. Every single one of you are a Bethel, if you're a Christian. You are the dwelling place. You are the house of God. Are you treating your body commensurate with the glory of what that means? We have a responsibility to glorify God with our bodies. And so... To the goal of getting there. How do we do that? How do we, how do we glorify God with our bodies? That's the rest of the message here today. Here's the first thing. When it comes to glorifying God with our body, we must believe what God says about my body. Namely, it is very good. Listen to Psalm 139. And you see David here, just, he's just rejoicing in the mystery at that time, a couple thousand years ago, of how God forms a human body and a human being within the womb of the mother. And he says, I, his bottom line is we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I wonder what he might have wrote if he would have seen a picture like that, which we have all over the place. We have a picture of that growing Fetus in the womb, it's such a precious, delicate, and wonderful thing, is it not? The way that God forms us and makes us into fully human beings. We see the value of our bodies in Jesus' ministry. He didn't just simply tell people how to go to heaven. He also ministered to their physical needs, didn't he? Healed them, fed them cared for them. Jesus cared for the human body. We see that in his ministry. And so here's the question. I just wonder, are you prepared to go home and to look in the mirror and to look at the body that you have? And by that, I mean, including all of your perceptions of its inadequacies, the things that you like, the things that you don't like, and to look in the mirror and to look at that body And to fight against the culture that's trying to tell us that it doesn't matter, it's a plaything or it's inadequate. And to say, this is the body that God has given to me, and in his eyes, it is good. Think about all of the troubles and brokenness that happens in our world because of people's view of their own body. And I include in that bulimia. Anorexia, obsession over cultural standards of beauty that my body has to conform to in order for, in my mind, it to be good. Billions of dollars that are spent on makeovers and all the other things that go into people trying to make their body look good to them. Here's what I want you to to realize, is that in the eyes of God, your body is good. He gave you the body that you have. And of course, we look around and we got all kinds of bodies right here in this room. Different shapes and sizes and shapes and sizes and we, we've got all kinds of bodies here and, and, you know, that's just the way that God made humanity is with lots of variety and all of it is good. He is not embarrassed by what you are embarrassed about in your body. And I just want to say, because I think this is important, that includes bodies that maybe Uh, by our standards, would have some measure of handicap to them. That body in God's eyes is beautiful and has inherent value. Or a body that maybe has some kind of what we would call deformity of some kind. That body in God's eyes is beautiful and has inherent goodness in it. The human body is valuable and it is part of Jesus' redemptive plan. He died in part to save our bodies. We could say it this way. In God's eyes, all bodies are beautiful and valued. And I wonder if we can look at it that way. And maybe some of you need to go home and stand in front of the mirror and get your Bible out and and look like this. Okay? And you'd be like, all I see is a binding on a Bible. I don't get, that's not what I'm saying, okay? You're going to look at it through the grid of what God says about your body. It might be very freeing to many people. I think that's an important point. Second thing in our worldview of the body is to realize that our bodies, while beautiful and good in God's eyes, they are cursed. And that is why a lot of things happen. That's why I feel the way that I do, speaking of those 30 and over. The 17 year olds right now are going, I have no idea what he's talking about. I feel awesome. You just wait. And all those 30 and above said, yeah. Amen. You just wait. We all were where you were at one time. Prime of life. Everything's functioning the way it's supposed to. I remember I was talking to my dad when I was like 20 about this. And i remember my dad saying something like this to me he said it's all downhill from here (laughs) and i remember being so depressed by that like you mean i'm never going to feel better than i do right now i'm never going to run faster jump higher you know it's just pretty much downhill so depressing and yet it's the reality why This is true because of the fall. This is the effect of sin. We get older. Things don't work like they used to. We begin to... Our metabolism slows down. We begin to lose hair and things like that. Uh, Changes happen in the body. Why? Because of the fall. And so we can fight it. We can live in denial. We can dress like a 20-year-old. But the truth is that we cannot stem the effects of genesis 3 better to accept it okay better to accept it and if you don't get this do what i did a month ago go to your 25th high school reunion there is a lot of theology to be found at high school reunions and just look around and say genesis 3 okay (laughs) so our bodies have inherent goodness but they are cursed. The next thing we find, and I've touched on this already, is that our bodies were redeemed by Jesus. His death for me. Again, 1 Corinthians 6. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Again, these Corinthians, they were not thinking anything of going up to uh, the temple and joining the, themselves with a temple prostitute. And Paul's argument here is, listen, your body is not your body. You, 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 you're not there to simply use it in whatever way that you want, to simply maximize the pleasure uh, that you want. You are there to use it in a way that is glorifying to God. Use your body. And that is, that is for sure true sexually, but it's true in all the categories. My whole life now is to be lived for the Lord, including this, the way that I treat And what I do to my body. Jesus owns it. I wonder how many of us look at that. This body is owned by somebody else. And because that is true, I am a steward of this body. It's Jesus' body, but I'm the one living in it. Okay, (laughs) I'm living in this body. And I have a responsibility to live and to use this body in a manner that Jesus would want me to do it. That's what it means to be a steward. We talk about stewardship a lot. We talk about... Uh, we talked in first corinthians about stewarding the gifts that god has given to us that we're all responsible for using this spiritual gift in a manner that the owner of the gift would want or we talk about stewarding money that my money is not my money that my money is actually god's money and i am temporarily in charge of it which means that i'm responsible for using it in a way that is pleasing to him how many of us take that same principle and apply it to our bodies that this body is not my body, rather it is the Lord's, which means that I need to use it in a manner that is pleasing to him here's a way to think of it. I think this will help. If you think about your body and, and or let me just, let me backtrack a second. let's just say that somebody uh, that you know, they were going out of town for a year or two, and they owned a really expensive Italian sports car and they wanted you to keep an eye on it for them while they're gone now you just think about pick your Italian sports car there's several really cool ones to choose from Ferrari Lamborghini I'd probably go Ferrari red okay Uh, I was just imagining that moment that would have been awesome Um, how would you treat that car while you were in charge of it? Like, what would you do to be a good steward of it? And I would imagine that most of us, if we were going to take this seriously, we, we probably would, during the year, we would take it in for regular maintenance checkups, right? Make sure everything's operating the way that it's supposed to. We would occasionally need to take it out for a drive and just sort of work out the, the kinks in it, you know, below the speed limit, but fast up to the speed limit. Really fast, up to the speed limit. Uh, I would be careful to put proper fuel in it. You know, I'm not putting diesel in it. I'm not, I'm not pulling up to the E85 pump and saying, well, this is cheaper, this will do. No, I'm going to put in there probably the premium gas and whatever else it needs. I'm going to be careful with that. I'm not going to let my 14-year-old nephew drive it. I'm not parking it at the Lake County Fair. Why? Because it is so valuable. It's such a pristine piece of machinery that if I'm in charge of this car, I'm going to do everything I can to care for it and to treat it as it deserves. And Christian, your body is way more valuable to God than any piece of machinery. Jesus didn't die for a Ferrari. He didn't die for a Lamborghini, but he did die in part to save your body. He has a plan for it. And we have a responsibility in this decaying, dying body to care for it. And so I have three areas of needed attention. As your pastor, just coming here, standing up here in front, saying, I think there's three key areas of needed stewarding of the body that I want to bring to you. Here's the first. Wise self-control over bodily appetites. Wise self control over bodily appetites. Galatians five twenty two tells us that self control is a fruit of the spirit. Which means that when I am when I when the spirit is really active in my life, I don't have less control, I have more control over my body. I am in self control, spirit self control. A lifestyle that is given to excess, where I am out of control, where I'm just, I'm just needing to feed the appetites of my body, whatever they might be. That's the way the pagans live. That's always in the in the New Testament. The pagans are given to excess. They're just out there, man. They're they are eat, drink, be merry, man. Look, tomorrow we die. That's the way that they live. Philippians three says this: Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. This body that I have, part of the fall, this body has needs. And it always thinks it needs more, doesn't it? My body will continue to want to feed its appetites way more than it needs. Kind of like the children in Willy Wonka. Who just they can't help themselves as they walk around and they see the different candies and the different oh, I, gotta, I gotta eat this, and, and people do that eat, drink, just just feeding their body whatever. The issue is who is in control? Are you in control of your body, or is your body in control of you? Listen to First Thessalonians. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness. And honor. And there for sure is a moral dimension to what he's getting at. It's probably the primary one. But we have a responsibility to live in control of our bodies. And can by the Spirit. And it seems to me that this is where there is so much hypocrisy in the American evangelical church. Because you go to church. It's easy to go to a stereotypical church. And and uh, the preaching is against. You've got to deny yourself. And you've got to live for heavenly things. And these Bad people in the world. They're given over to any passion and desire that they have. We can't live like them. We've gotta, we've gotta live another path. And people amen in and all right right. Okay. And now we're all dismissed to the fellowship hall. And you get there and all there is is donuts and desserts. And God's people sit down and, uh, you can tell that it's not the first piece of pie they've probably ate that day. And they are just stuffing their faces and thinking nothing of stewarding the body. Or take the stereotypical preacher. I won't, you say, well, you're picking on the congregation. Well, I'll pick on my profession then. How's that? Take the stereotypical preacher, unnaturally overweight, railing against his congregation for living for uh, earthly things and all, the, all the, uh, the, the passions that you need to be denying yourself. And you look at him and, you know, every button is stretching on his shirt and you can tell his belt is on the last loop. You know, you can almost chart the last year as he's been moving the belt along. (laughs) Is this stewarding the body? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, let me make something clear. Is it wrong to eat a steak and a strawberry pie? No. In fact, there's a family in the church taking me out for steak at Geno's after this uh, second service today, and I will eat it to the glory of God. I want you to know that. And strawberry pie is a gift from God. There's no doubt. And that needs to be savored and treasured and loved. So we're not talking about a kind of asceticism. There's plenty in the Bible that God gives everything good for our enjoyment. Okay? Okay. It's, it's the excess. It is the lack of moderation. It's the not thinking about my body as somebody else's and just doing long-term damage to it. That is the issue. Can I not eat the steak? Am I free not to eat the steak? Or does it just call me and I can't say no? Am I, am I in charge of my body or is my body in charge of me? Do I willingly eat, drink, smoke, inhale anything that will damage God's body of which I am a steward? Is my lifestyle... You might say, well, this one thing one time isn't wrong. Okay, I'm okay with that. I'm not I'm not arguing that point. But if I do that and I'm involved in that over time, am I doing damage by my lifestyle to the body that Christ died to redeem? Now, I need to... I'm I'm tippy-toeing through the tulips right now. And I want to add this. I am not talking about slowing metabolism uh, in age over time. I'm not talking about medical conditions. I'm not talking about a hundred exceptions that you could legitimately come up to me and say, well, what about that? I can't believe it. I'm not talking about that. I think you know what I'm talking about. A lack of self control, and a failure to connect how I live my life in this body with the faith that I profess. We need to integrate everything into our faith, don't we? And I just wonder if we can be a church that values the human body, and we, we support the Women's Center, and we got other things we got. We were, I mean, we're solidly theologically grounded in the inherent goodness of the human Body and personhood, no matter how big and small it is, we're totally in on that. Can we be a church that values the human body without hating it, abusing it, or worshiping it? And that's what the world does. They either hate their body, or they abuse their body, or they worship their body. That's why when you work out at Gold's Gym or some other place, there's mirrors everywhere. It's not so you can see other people, it's so that you can see yourself, right? Right? Can we be a church that values a Christian who doesn't obsess over their body, but stewards it as a gift? I think it's one way to live out our Christianity in this culture. Here's the second, okay? Second is what I'm calling faithful fitness. Faithful fitness. Again, this is my observation that this needs to be a part of what it means to live in the body. And there are more important things than this. Bodily exercise profits little, but you know, that whole thing, I embrace that as well. But so this isn't the most important thing I'll ever say to you. But I think it is important. Stewarding the body includes caring for the body, faithful fitness, wellness, a basic lifestyle of health. And I'm a pastor, I'm not a fitness instructor, I'm not a uh, nutritionist, so I called a woman in our church who is. Christine Jensen, been a member here for a very long time. She's a nutritionist and deals with these kind of things, ran the Ironman triathlon or whatever in Hawaii. And so this is a woman to listen to on this subject. And I wrote her and I just, uh, we just asked her, we said, I said, give me something I can put on the screen. And so here's what she said. For a basic lifestyle of wellness, eight hours of sleep per night. I did not fulfill that last night, sadly. Uh, A minimum activity of of exercise. Okay, there's some. Next, go and put them all up if you would. Eat at least three meals a day. Okay, most of us have no struggle in that area. Happy to. Uh, (laughs) In the words of the hobbits, what about second breakfast? You know, uh, we have no issue there. Variety of wholesome foods. That might be helpful for many of us. I don't see fried as a recommended uh, food group. Adequate hydration, lifestyle helps, managing stress, positive supportive relationships. Who doesn't want that? So that's what the, there's the wellness expert in our church, what she would suggest. And you've probably heard similar things to this. And it doesn't mean that all of us need to be Hans and Franz or anything like that. But I do think that we need to think about that. How are you caring for the body and stewarding it? I would love to see a culture, a little more of this in our church. Again, not where we're obsessing over it. And, you know, you walk into church and, you know, we're not having, there's, we're not weighing you as you come in and, you know, celebrating the biggest loser every weekend or something like that. I'm not talking about that. Also, not talking about people policing this, walking up to one another going, well, you know, you're really not, here's a sermon for you, that kind of thing. Don't know. We're not talking about legalism. We're not talking about none of that. Talk about stewarding it. And so, towards the goal of a little bit of culture building in our church, I'm happy to announce to you uh, that we have um, worked on this and we've got uh, the city of Crown Point on board. And on October 22nd, we are going to host the very first Bethel Church 5K fun run. All right? So that's going to happen. Now, you don't have to run it. You can run, you can jog, you can walk, you can crawl. All right? We don't care. We don't care what your time is. We don't care. It's just, for, it's just a fun thing just to kind of get that going a little bit. Great thing to invite a friend to and build some relationships as well. So, but I want that to be grounded in a broader theology of the body. That's why we're doing it. Now, here's my final point today. Why do we do this? Okay? Why 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 care about this? In some contexts, people would, they would get all jazzed about that. Or maybe you've got a body that you're like, well, finally a weekend that I look good at, you know, and you want to sort of see yourself in, no. Okay? That is not at all what we're talking about here. Why does a Christian care about stewarding the body? I've given you a couple of reasons already. It's part of God's plan. It's inherently good. Jesus died to redeem it. He values. Matter matters to God. But here's a final important one. I care for my body so that I might have maximum kingdom impact in this one life that I have to live. It always comes back to the same point. It always comes back to Christ. It comes back to the Great Commission. It comes back to the kingdom of God. We do what we do because He is who He is. And He has given us a call. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? We do that in a body. We never have an out-of-body experience in doing it. I am doing it in this body. As I steward this body, as best I can, I am more equipped, more fit, more able to serve the Lord. When I abuse my body, when I don't take care of my body, when I get lethargic and sedentary in my lifestyle, I am low on motivation and I am not going to do very much. I think of my hero Jim Elliot. You probably, many of you know Jim Elliot, missionary martyr, died reaching the Aka Indians. Famous for his statement, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot, when he went to Wheaton College joined the wrestling team. He had never wrestled before. (laughs) Joined the wrestling team and made it very clear that the reason that he did it is so that he might have a more fit temple to serve the Lord. Now, this is, again, not the most important thing I'm ever going to say to you. It's a secondary kind of theological issue. But I do think that it is important. And I would sure love to see a little bit more of this kind of mindset. Within our congregation, now do what you can. Okay, if you're old here, you're like, "Oh, this is a depressing message. I'd love to get out and do something, uh, but I can't. My I've got two knee replacements, and my hips been replaced, and they're about to replace everything else." Um... <laughs> do what you can. All right. If you're here, I've got seven kids under the age of three. I don't have any time to do any of this. Okay. It's a stage of life. We get it. It's fine. But you can have those kids and sit at home and eat bonbons all day. And that's what I'm talking about. Who's in control? Is your body in control of you or are you in control of your body by the spirit? These things are important because this is the context within which I am living out my life of worship to God. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices. So care for it. Steward it. Don't love it. Don't worship it. Don't live for it. It's going to be dead in the ground someday. But care for it till Jesus comes or until I die. Theology of the body. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, for a word of prayer?